Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Insider, brought to you by the lovely people at Vanishing Inc. My guest today has done many Edinburgh shows with fantastic titles such as Nerd World Problems, You Can't Polish a Nerd and Nerd Do Well, where last year he was nominated as act most likely to win a million quid in the Malcolm Hardy Awards. He got his flight time out in Europe working for Rodney James Piper and then Matt Wright. He successfully transitioned from close-up nerdy magician to busy professional stage worker where he not only embraces his inner nerd, it is his whole act. Ladies and gentlemen, say good morning to Tom Crosby. Hello. Hello, Tom. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Oh, thank you. Thank you for doing it. What's your origin story? You've got 27 seconds. Go. Uh, oh, God. I uh, saw a magician do magic at my birthday party when I was about three. Um, and, you know, I think even even before that, someone pulled a coin out from behind my ear. You know, it's kind of the, the old cliche, really. Um, and then off the back of that, someone bought me a magic set. It turned into a job, um, more by good luck than good judgment. And yeah, I've never looked back. The penultimate time I saw you was at International Magic Convention about seven years ago, where I asked you to show something to my wife and you did some really beautiful pen and coin close-up stuff. Now, I most recently saw you at the session where you did a full evening show that brought the house down. It was a wonderful mixture of lots of actual skill and strong, sneaky magic. What the heck happened? How did you go from close-up Sharpie tricks to full-blown stage show? Uh, tell us about that journey. Um, so it was all based around... So my my, kind of, my, my forte in, in magic, at least as far as magicians were concerned, was a mix of the pen and coin stuff, um, which was a DVD from like 2014, I think, um, and, the, uh, and uh, a lot of work with the memorised deck. Right. I, I used to use the mem deck quite a lot um, and still do in many regards. I just hide it a bit better now. Um, but I, I did a routine where somebody would name a card and I could just cut to it. And I went to work for Matthew Wright in 2015. And we were talking about what routine was best and you know what, what routine I could do in the show. Um, and I showed, he, he knew I did this cutting, dead cutting to a card. And he said... Uh, are you doing that for real? And I said, well, yeah, essentially. And he said, okay, stop doing magic and just show people that you can do that. Um, <laughs> like, we, we realized really quickly that it, when people believed that it was real or that the stuff that was real was getting just as good, if not a better reaction than doing it as a trick. So I guess I've kind of gone a bit Yuri Geller with it. Like I'm starting to, I'm not believing my own hype, don't get me wrong, but like I'm I'm definitely living the the act you know it's yeah it, it's weird um but it's definitely a a massive change um but yeah it, it's financially it certainly made a good decision because there are <laughs> you know at least when it comes to the fringe magicians are sort of not ten a penny that's not fair cause, but there are lots of magicians up there there's only one sure. perform you know only one performing nerd as i as i mm -hmm. embraced the title but yeah there you go. How, how important is that? How important is that differentiation between the fact that you're not a, about the fact that you're not a magician? Um, it's it's certainly important in terms of well, if if it was just up at the Edinburgh Fringe, it would be fine. Um, but the fact that I'm I'm doing this, uh, I, I do it on the cruise ships where if you have a bad show, there is no escape from your audience. Right, you, know, you are literally stuck on a boat for two weeks with people that have seen you do your act. Um, and whereas when it was a a magician, it was, yeah, when I was working as a magician, I got the same questions that everyone else did. You know, can you make my wife disappear while the lottery numbers, etc. Um, whereas now, 
it, it's the same. You know, I, I still get the same old questions, but now people believe that it's real. Um, and for me, as I said, the, the reactions are so much stronger because people can see the work that's gone in. Like the yeah, thing yeah. about when, when you're performing as a magician, if people realize how difficult it is, you're doing your job wrong. Um, whereas with with me, if you know, I, I want people to see the work that's gone into it. Hell, most of the time, I want people to think that more work has gone in than actually has. Yeah, no, there um, were a couple of bits in the in the show at the session that I wasn't sure whether it was a trick I, or whether you, know, you were actually honestly, doing it. One one of the one of the highlights of my weekend was Andy Nyman saying the same thing to me. Oh, uh, okay. I, I mentioned it in the show that like it, it was terrifying, genuinely, just having so many of you know like. I had my entire bookshelf staring back at me uh, while, while the show was on. It was it was genuinely terrifying, but it was great. I had a whale of a time. What was the most challenging part of your show to devise a method for? Oh, God. Uh, good question. Because I'm thinking that your act doesn't start with, like, oh, oh here's, a new, here's a new trick. I want to put that into the act, that it's there's more thought behind it so yeah in terms of in terms of how you want people to feel at certain points and that kind of thing so was there something that was particularly challenging to devise a method for um looking back no like everything was was fairly straightforward but um i think the the, the strange thing about having a, a um a strong sort of character driven show for the lack of a less pretentious phrase is it makes going to conventions a lot cheaper because it means I can look at a trick and go, I love that trick. I could never do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you get that, you do get sort of a real sense of, you know, I, I know who I am and I know I'm never going to do that trick. Um, certainly in terms of developing the show, um, the, 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 the finale to the show, uh, for those that haven't seen it, um, somebody in the audience names a famous person and it's not mind reading. It's not divining the name. Someone in the audience names a famous person and I uh, make a picture of that person out of 100 Rubik's Cubes. That's mm-hmm. the effect. Um, and I have played with so many methods to achieve that effect. In fact, uh, the, the method has... It's still the same method as I was using in, in the, the session however many weeks ago. And it's changed since then. Like it, oh, right. It's not oh, okay. changed, but it, it's, it's developed. It's evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of how I see my show. I, I, I never... I have yet to completely burn the show down and start again. Um, mm-hmm. I know lots of performers, at least that do the Edinburgh Fringe, will go up every year with a brand new show. Yeah. Personally, I would rather change 50, 60, 70% of the show and keep 30, 40% that I know is solid, I know works, I know gets a good reaction. Um, sure. So, yeah, I, I see my show is evolving. And for me, the, the method, at least for, well, for the whole show, I suppose, is, is constantly evolving. I'm not... N- n- I don't think anything's ever set in stone. Um, mm. I don't think it should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How important do you think it is for you to get input, um, mentoring, help from other people to achieve oh, your goals? Massively important. I think mentoring is massively underrated nowadays. Um, I don't think it happens nearly as much. I think it's a, a generation of, of YouTube magicians that keep themselves to themselves and don't really get out and meet um, other, other people. Um, which, I mean... Personally, I wouldn't be where I am today were it not for a, a host of mentors. Um, although they don't necessarily see themselves as mentors. How do um, you mean? I, I, don't, I, I don't think a mentor needs to be an official 
I am your mentor. I will teach you everything I know. Young wizard, uh, come with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> come and sit. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that that necessarily that official relationship needs to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've I've sort of had three big mentors over the years that I I would consider to be mentors. Um, whether they would consider themselves to be my mentor uh, is a very different matter. Um, I think certainly with Matthew Wright, he would probably call himself my mentor um, in one way or another, but he, he changed my life. Absolutely. Just by introducing me to this idea that you don't need to be a magician. I was like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of Matt Wright's mentors, for instance, is Jeff, is Jeff McBride. Uh-huh. And there are certain elements of Jeff's performances that I'm not a huge fan of, but I okay. also know Matt, uh, Matt isn't a massive fan of. And he's a, much like watching a performance video and taking as much away from stuff that you like as stuff mm. that you don't like. I think the same applies to mentors. You know, I, yes, I want to emulate these elements of you, but I also want to completely avoid accidentally becoming you. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to become, yeah, you, you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. It's, it's important to dodge certain bullets. You're working um, cruise ships a lot at the moment. How did you get started doing that? And what's the experience like? Oh God. So I owe it all to Jamie Allen. Okay. Um, Jamie Allen is, uh, I, I didn't really know him particularly well. Uh, and he came to the Edinburgh Fringe a few years ago, uh, 2017. And he, uh, basically he joined the wrong queue. He went to go and see a friend of his perform. Uh, he was in Edinburgh for the day. He went to go and see a friend of his perform, accidentally joined the wrong queue because that can happen in Edinburgh. Uh, everywhere is a queue and every room is a theater and it's mad. Uh, accidentally joined the wrong queue, watched my show, and then called me afterwards and said, I think you'd be good for the ships. Handed me a business card and said, give me a call. Um, <sighs> and I did. And I put it this way. I, he, so he, he's very close with, uh, with someone quite high up in the industry um, with whom I had a meeting on the Friday. And on the Monday, I got a phone call saying, uh, uh, any chance you can get to Southampton by six o'clock uh, to, to join the ship? And I, I'm crikey. Yeah, I, as it turns out, I couldn't. I ended up flying out to Lisbon two days later, but uh, to join the same ship. But it was, um, yeah, but that was talk about being dropped in at the deep end. Uh, yeah. But the, the experience is, it's very different. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a very strange dynamic because you are living the part. Um, I always look at Simon Coronel's website because he he has a mm-hmm. uh, he 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 has a blog article from a couple of years ago, which is he made a note of every time somebody made a oh you're going to make your lunch disappear yeah oh, yeah yeah I've oh, read it yeah <laughs> oh have, have you made your cabin disappear all that and like with a timestamp and everything and it's yeah just excellent but yeah it's true there is no escape you are you are surrounded by your passengers uh, if 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 you have a good first show brilliant you know i will see you around i will get involved in everything if the first show doesn't go well well it's a good thing i've got a hard drive full of films uh because i will be in my cabin for the next two weeks with room service right um yeah it's but you know i i do i love it uh it's great there's a few things in the act that have needed to change um mostly in terms of speaking slower ah and because uh, of the international nature of the audience not so much that at the moment. Uh, at the moment, at least, the, the, the cruise lines that I'm working for are very British, very oh, okay. British, very American. Um, yeah, I think on, on the last ship I was on, it was maybe 5% international. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's just because they're old. Right. They're just so old. 
God, I can't tell you how old they are. It's it's, it's, it's horrendous. Uh, no, they, they are lovely, lovely people. Um, and if anyone happens to be listening to that, please keep giving me work. But um, they are... No, they're older. The, the, yeah, they're an older generation. So um, the, the one big change that I've made to the show, I suppose, is at the moment in the UK, in the fringe circuits and all that, I call myself the performing nerd. Um, whereas on the ships, I call myself the international man of memory. Um, which ah. sounds good, but it's just I tried calling myself the performing nerd on the ships, and as soon as people see that in the Daily Times, we won't bother. We won't go see that. You know, we'll go to bingo or whatever else is on that evening. Um, Interesting. And are there are there gags and bits of the script that you've had to change as well? There are a couple of gags. Um, not so much. There's a couple of gags that I've had to drop um, because I realised that they are for a younger audience. Mm. Um, you know, I've got certain lines that are, you know, fully nerdy that people don't necessarily get. So, but yeah, for the most part, everything stayed more or less the same. It's just slower. That also means I get more material for my book. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, what advice do you have for close-up listeners who would like nothing more than to work up a stage and parlour show and end up doing cruises like you? Uh, so I, I, I give this piece of advice out everywhere and I, I, it, it changed my life. Uh, actually, who changed my life for the best was Rob James, um, mm-hmm. who actually I don't think does close up anymore. Uh, w- w- when I first got into magic, I ended up Googling magician and I remember Rob James's website came up ahead of like the Wikipedia article for magician. Uh, you know, his, his, and as far as I was concerned, that meant that he was great. So since then, and I think I must have been about 13 or 14 at the time. Um, and I, since then, basically took everything that Rob said to be gospel. Um, and Rob said to me, because he, he did a show at the Fringe and I got talking to him afterwards. And he said, just do it. Sign up and do it. Because if you find an excuse to not do it this year, you'll find an excuse to not do it next year. Right. And that just kind of blew my mind. And went, yeah, you know what? I have been finding excuses not to do it. I have been, you know, making excuses for myself, which if I just jump in at the deep end, sign up, book myself a venue and work out the details later, which is more or less what happened. Um, this is after working for Matt for one season, I think I did with Matt in the first okay. place. Um, and I came away with maybe about 25, 30 minutes worth of material. Um, with some other ideas, you know, mm. bringing around. But when I went up to the fringe, yeah, I had an hour-long show. But this was after a month of working for Matt. Sorry, a, a season of working for Matt, um, and having about half of a show. Um, I think in terms of in terms of writing a stage show, I think having a deadline is one of the most important things you can do. Um, just book in a show, and I. I God, that sounds awful because I see so many magicians going, I've just booked my first close-up gig. What tricks should I do? And it drives me nuts. Oh, don't book it in. You've not got an act. And here's me advocating doing the exact opposite. Um, Yeah, it's honestly, booking in a show and setting myself a deadline meant that I had to have a show. Um, and, And then, of course, you're doing the show, The Fringe, you're doing the show every day for what a month. Uh, 28 days or something like that it means that I, I challenge anyone to do a show for audiences paying or otherwise every day for 28 days and not improve I think I think it would be very difficult to not get better even by accident 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I've seen a couple of shows that would challenge that theory. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, so how how important do you think Edinburgh is to do? And I don't think Edinburgh is necessarily the be all and end all. I think it cuts out a few step. Uh, yeah, it, it certainly cuts out a few stepping stones that that I I certainly would have had to traverse without um, Edinburgh. I think, as I say, in terms of getting the material out there, um, it, it's great because you are performing so regularly. Uh, you're doing at least one show a day, maybe more. I know um, there's a, a duo called, called Griffin and Jones who do three shows a day and a cabaret and various other variety shows and everything. And it's Blimey. they. Yeah, but it works and they are working in material like No Tomorrow. Their scripting is so tight at the end of it because they're doing it so much. Right. Um, and nowadays there isn't really anywhere, there isn't an outlet like that um, anywhere else that in the flight world. time. Yeah, and unless you're a Vegas headliner uh, or, you know, working in The Illusionist or, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever. There isn't really anywhere where you're performing quite as much as you are. Uh, sure. in edinburgh you know it really drops you in at the deep end um and especially working on on the free fringe which basically the, the free fringe is a, is a street show but indoors mm-hmm. you get given the venue for free you can't charge for tickets but you stand at the door at the end with the bucket and hope for the best um you, you really see you, you you have an incentive assuming people are in the door you have an incentive to do a good show because right. you're seeing real financial results immediately mm-hmm. uh, as to whether you've done a good show or not and if you and if anyone does this i recommend tracking how much money you've made over the over the course of the uh, over the course of the month because it really changes everything you know you, you can see when you've had a good show you can see how everything's grown over time and yeah it, it's it's a real eye opener um, so going back briefly to your previous question um, sure uh, the other thing that I would say to close up magicians wanting to make it as a stage magician if you want to do stage magic um, stop doing close up and it's, it's <laughs> sounds heartbreaking sounds well, simple yeah uh, I know I, I realise it's difficult because I, hell I was making a living as a close up magician and it was very difficult to then turn away gigs um, basically I realised that if you do close up magic you are known as a close up magician if you just do stage magic, you are known as a stage magician. If you do close-up on stage, you are known as a close-up magician who also does a bit of stage. Right. You, you, you're always sort of... That's not fair, because lots of people do very, you know, do a very good job. But in general, people see you as a close-up magician who does, who do a bit, you know, who does a bit of stage magic. Sure, sure. Um, and I think it's, it's important for bookings. God, the first year after becoming a professional stage performer... Uh, I hasten to call myself a magician because I don't on stage, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, it was very difficult for that first year to be turning down gigs saying, oh no, I don't do close up anymore. Uh, you know, th- there's another three, 400 quid down the drain, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it worked. And then now all I get is stage, stage gigs. Um, and I wouldn't look back because by the end of it, I hated doing close up. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> Yes. What was the lightning bolt that steered you towards the nerd persona? Because every, there's a big thing about, oh, it's just me turned up to 11. But the, the nerd thing is such a... It's a character that, that steers exactly what's going to happen in the act. Do you know what I mean? It's so, yeah, it, it defines what you can do. So what was the lightning bolt moment that made that happen? 
Um, I think again, it, it all comes back to Matthew Wright, and I, you know, I, I can't sing his praises highly enough. But it was, I, and I recommend anyone else do this as well. And I know Morgan and West have spoken about this, and lots of other, you know, character-driven performers say the same. Um, it's very difficult for you to find your own character. It's incredibly difficult for you to try and define yourself and mm-hmm. try and see how other people see you. So, if if you're wanting to find a character or anything. You know, even I say a character for me, I don't really consider it a character because it is just me. But it's it's okay. certain characteristics of me that I, you know, I hate saying turned up to 11 because it's such a cliche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But finding somebody else, finding an external eye, someone whose opinion you value and trust and getting them to describe you, you know, ah. flattening your image down to to just a couple of words, a couple of key phrases, a couple of, you know, j- just one description. Um so for me, I am a chubby northern nerd, right? Okay. And you know that's that is how I like to think people see me. Uh, mm-hmm. Chubby, not so much, but you know what I mean. It's <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's a descriptor, and it's it's very difficult for you know. You mustn't get me wrong; I can get the chubby northern thing on my own. But finding out that people see me as the nerd took an external mm-hmm. eye, and for Matt to turn around to me and go, "Right, you're clearly quite a nerdy bloke. Uh, let's just own that." It's it's the elephant in the room anyway. People will be thinking it. Uh, the the least you can do is is address it early on and embrace it. And I think embracing whatever your character is. Um, there's a uh, a performer from I want to say Cambridge area named Lulu, um, who uh, you know I've never seen her perform, uh, but she uh, found her character the same way. And for her, she's very much into all things sparkly and pink and um, yeah, all all sorts of things like that. And she embraced that and now she does a routine as a magical fairy uh, right. and you know with sparkles and all sorts because if that's how people see her embrace it you know own, own the character and and suddenly then that dictates all the choices that you'll make in the rest of your show writing yeah, a show yeah. becomes so much easier when you know who you are of course which god that sounded couldn't have sounded more like a disney princess ending than if i tried but... <laughs> follow your dreams find yourself <laughs> How does um how does the ubiquity of cube magic impact your act now? Oh God! So Rubik's cubes, uh, it's it's such a it's a strange one. So Rubik's cubes obviously have become more and more popular. Um, I'm certainly not holding myself responsible for that. You know, and it's it was popular before I got here, and it'll be popular long after I'm gone. Uh, potentially, I don't know that for sure, but um, <laughs> it's strange. I, I'm doing stuff. I. I it's difficult to feel that the magic world is not a threat. That sounds wrong. Obviously, with, with Rubik's Cubes being more popular nowadays, it's not really an issue for me because the stuff that I'm doing, yes, is magic. Um, but it's, I, I always describe it as a magic show in denial. Um, yeah. But the, the stuff that I'm doing is, is magic, oh, but nobody else out. is really doing the same stuff. You know, it, it's, it's getting more popular, but it's... This is interesting. This has never happened before. Yeah, I, I, I don't see anyone really stepping on my toes, certainly in the same regard, you know, in, in the same respect. I think what I'm doing with Rubik's Cubes is, yeah, a lot of it's still fairly generic, but because I'm presenting it as a skill rather than a magic trick, it, it makes life a lot easier. You know, the, it... Sure. Yeah, it, it means that, the, again, that there's a lot of tricks coming out. Um, Henry Harrius has that great, 
RD Insta trick at the at the moment, mm. and I saw him perform it, and he he showed me it a few, few months ago, and I I looked at it and thought that is incredible. I could never do that as much as I want to. There there are routines out there that I would love to be performing, but I just can't. And I I spent ages trying to convince myself that, like with RD Insta in particular, as a prime example. I, I, I look at it and go, God, I want to put that in the act. I know I can't. It's definitely a magic trick. Um, the same goes for Michael Murray's solution. Uh, so someone it's, solve too, it's too magic-y. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there are so many magicians out there that I whose opinion I truly value um, that I will speak to about a routine and they will come back and go, oh, yeah, but then you could then you could turn around and reveal that you've predicted the whole thing. And it's like, you've missed the point. I, I couldn't do that. You know, uh, right. all the routines that I'm doing are deliberately less good than they could be in favor of being believable. It's it's trying to rain. Is that a hard the... choice? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it would be so easy. So my, my, my first show, Nerduel, was basically a collection of useless skills desperately trying to impress girls. Right. Uh, the whole premise of the show was uh, I'm desperately single. I need to try and impress girls but completely misunderstanding what girls are impressed by. Okay. And, and that, that, that was the premise of the show. Um, and it was just a collection of, of useless skills. Um, and it would have been very easy for me to say, well, one of those skills can be a magic trick. Clearly I've learned a magic trick. And I had to sort of slap myself and go, no, don't do that. Bad idea. Um, right. Actually, I, I have a, a friend who helps me write it, a chap called Tim Willoughby, who, uh, who he's the one that does the slapping and okay. so, no, <laughs> restrain yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I've got certain routines that, Oh, so for instance, I, I, I memorize a pack of cards and I, I spend a good 30 seconds dealing through the cards, uh, memorizing them. And if that was a magic trick, I could just spread them out or riffle through them and get a quick glance in half a second. But by taking 30, 40 seconds of dealing over dealing through them, um, it means that first of all, people find it believable. And I think there's a bit of an internal logic thing where the audience goes, right. He's clearly, he's clearly doing this for real because otherwise he would be wasting our time spending so long dealing through the cards. And uh-huh. th- there's no way he'll be dealing. You know, th- th- there's no way he'll be wasting our time doing this. So somebody doing not, a, someone debate, doing right? a mem deck routine just needs to make it a bit more, more boring at the beginning. Pretty much. And then they'll sell it. Pretty much. Interesting. Yeah. Because the audience are thinking, he wouldn't no be, way man like, he, he wouldn't be wasting our time <laughs> yeah, spending yeah, yeah. this long over dealing through the cards if it wasn't completely necessary <laughs> therefore it's real uh, but it, it's it sounds ridiculous but i know that's how it works yeah um, man that makes perfect yeah. sense that's really clever <laughs> is that what going back to nerd do well which is the skill-based show is there a skill you'd like to learn but haven't yet oh there are loads um give us a I, couple uh, so at the moment i'm i'm working on um flash memorizing phone numbers um like a, a lot of the memory stuff i think is 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 super useful i'm trying to uh, I, yeah okay sorry i don't think anyone else is will be replicating this before august uh at the moment i'm trying to memorize trivial pursuit what? Uh, i'm trying to yeah i'm trying to learn the questions from trivial pursuit that's just shy of two and a half thousand questions um <gasps> yeah it, it, <laughs> uh so it has a couple of problems. First of all, uh, there are quite a lot of questions. Secondly, mm. it means that nobody will ever play with me again. Uh, <laughs> because it's going to have a huge impact in your life. Yes, <laughs> you'd be surprised. Uh, okay, but but yeah, it, it's it's. I, I'd love to. Basically, I've always said from day one 
because everything in my show is genuine, I would love, sorry, it's potentially genuine. Right, right, right. I would, I would love to have, you know, five, ten years from now, be able to do my show for real. Uh, I'd love to be able to do it all without fate, you know, without any trickery at all. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Without any any sort of deception. Um, Whether that's ever going to happen is, is a different matter. I think I might pick and choose my battles and pick some easier things and try and work on that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. What's next for Tom Crosby? What's 2020 looking like? Uh, Edinburgh Fringe again. I've Mm -hmm. just confirmed my venue. Uh, you know, the title isn't 100% set in stone, but would you like a quick exclusive on the title? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it one it's, that I suggested uh, or not? Uh, I don't know if you suggested it. The suggestion <laughs> definitely came from Nathan Jones, uh, among others. Uh, it's going to be Tom Crosby, Nerd Degree Burns. Hey! Uh, no, it wasn't so, one of mine. There you go. No, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Maybe next I, year. I Maybe up, next year. <laughs> I put up, for those that aren't friends with me on Facebook, I put up a thing on Facebook uh, asking for show title suggestions, and it got over 450 comments that I went and typed into a spreadsheet and counted <laughs> how many likes and how many repeats it got. And, yeah, and it was, I think Nerd Degree Burns was the second most popular after Nerd It Through the Grapevine. Uh, <laughs> Nerd It Through the Grapevine is brilliant. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, but yes, so I, I'm working on a load of new routines at the moment. The Trivial Pursuit thing. Uh, I want to do this, this uh, phone number memory thing, uh, among others. And yeah, I've got plenty of ideas, all of which are works in progress. Sure. Um, so actually, funnily enough, I had an idea with um, uh, Rory Adams, actually, uh, at the session this year. Um, I, I won't go into detail, but it involves taking a spectator, bringing them up on stage and locking them in a box for an hour. Sounds good already. Yeah. It's as far as we've got. Uh, there the, the will be a routine off the back of it, but yeah, want to lock someone in a box and then come back to them at the end. Okay. I don't, I don't know where to go with that. So we'll we'll, we'll, we'll move on to we'll move on to the end, which is um, sad, but here, and um, we always finish with four quick fire questions. Are you oh, ready, God. Tom Crosby? Very rarely. What's your favourite pizza topping? Oh, meatballs. Okay. Uh, fav- <laughs> I've never felt more judged. <laughs> Favourite movie? Oh, gosh. Uh, catch me if you can. Favourite people or person that makes music? Oh, gosh. At the moment? Oh, uh, the Bernicud Ladies. Canadian group. One week. Big Bang Theory, theme tune, etc. And finally, who would you rather fight? 100... 100- and finally, who would you rather fight? 100 Tiny Joshes or one Massive Andy? Oh, one Massive Andy. Perfect. Tom Crosby, thank you very much indeed for your time. That's been a real pleasure. Thanks very much. Cheers for having me.